You know, uh, we're starting on a new series today of three messages, extremely important. And the first one is my identity, who I am. You know, and I was still traveling for Tyndall House Publishers. Still, I'm going tomorrow. Hmm. But um, uh, regarding the Bible translation I was in charge of, one of my responsibilities was to do radio, TV, and magazine interviews. So here I am at this conference. I had 11 interviews in two days. And believe me, I was tired, weary of answering the same questions over and over. And so I was on the last one. And I remember it was with HRVC Radio from Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And uh, it was live. You know, I had the I had the earphones on, ready for the same questions. But the first question they asked me threw me off guard. They asked, who is, and then my Spanish name, who is Jaime Miron? Who are you? Who am I? What a great question. It threw me off guard. And, and I didn't know how to answer it. Now, can I stop here and ask each one of us, myself included, how would you answer that question? Who are you? Where do you get your identity? Think about it. It's, it's an extremely important question. And one of the first places we're tempted to look is in our career. You know, spending your time and energy pursuing a career, it, it, you know, can cause you to feel that that's your defining characteristic, who you are. After all, a job that you are dedicated to is, is you know, is likely to take up most of your time and, and your attention. In this country, when we meet someone, we tend to say, what do you do for a living? You know, for me, I don't get that question. I get the question, are you retired? You know, and, and you know how I answer that? What was that word? I don't, I don't totally understand that word. It's not in my dictionary. And I, and, and I want to talk about that for a second, the career. When I was in the Quad Cities, anybody in the, in the Quad Cities, there's two in Iowa, two in, in, in Illinois, and one of them is Mo, Mo, uh, Moline, where the John Deere headquarters are. A, a, and I was at a, a meeting that uh, there was probably 500 people, and a retired executive of an insurance company was to give his testimony how he came to Christ. And he retired after over 40 faithful years in the company where he, he rose to the, to the vice presidency. So they had a banquet on a Friday night and gave him a gold watch, the proverbial gold watch. Saturday morning came around. That was Friday night. Saturday morning came around and he went back to the place to gather his stuff and his code to enter the building didn't work. One day. But the guard there knew him and let him in. And he goes up to get his stuff from his desk. And it's all in a corner. And someone else's stuff was already in his desk. One day. You know, Andrew Luck, I'm sorry. I'm a Stanford football fan. Always have been. If you're a football fan, you know who Andrew Luck is. 
He said, I was self-absorbed, withdrawn in pain and feeling pressure. I wanted to think of myself in a way I hadn't before. Something other than being a football quarterback. He retired at the height of his career. Now, maybe it's our relationship status, our appearance, our grades, our reputation, to provide us some sense of identity of who we are. Our culture, as Dan has already, and he and I have talked about this, but as um, our culture is on a journey to discover individual identity and a sense of person. There are personality tests. There are dream assessments. Uh, there are even BuzzFeed quizzes. Now, I had to look up BuzzFeed on the Internet to find out what it was. So I'm not, I'm not out there, you know, on the vanguard. BuzzFeed quizzes are available everywhere you look. And it seems that everyone is searching for something or someone to tell them who they are, where they belong, and how they relate to the world. Now, i got a spoiler alert. So if you don't want the spoiler alert, don't listen to this pair. The Bible says that all men and women are created in God's image. We are created to reflect some of God's attributes. We can look, we, we can, we can look for our identity anywhere, but followers of Jesus are called to find their identity in Him. That's my spoiler alert. That's what I'm going to say for the rest of the message. Let's go back to HRVC, that radio program. You know, I want to go back and answer the question better than I did in those days. And let's see if we can answer the question of who I am. So I can go back and give them a better answer. So we're also told to look inside. You know, if we have a tough decision to make, you may go to your friends for advice, and inevitably someone's going to say, trust your gut. Go with, with, with what's in there. Trust yourself or just follow your heart. You know, all this started in the 60s. There was a, some of you about my age are going to recognize this. Some of you not. There was a song called Magic Carpet Ride. And it was by the, the group Stephen Wolf. Anybody? Stephen Wolf? Two of us, right? Yeah. Three, okay. It, the, the words say, close your eyes, girl, look inside, girl, let the sound take you away. You know, I tried looking inside, and I didn't very much like what I found. You know, and the, the great English writer, Somerset Mom, said, if I wrote down every thought I ever thought, and every deed... I've ever done. Men would call me a monster of depravity. So we're still left with a question, who am I? And in fact, I found a website. It says a guide to finding yourself. So you can just go in there, you know, and find yourself. You know, the problem is, is that the, 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 the answers and some more answers are not permanent. You know, they don't form something that can help me in the middle of a crisis. Any of them can change without warning. If we base our our identity on things like career or success or wealth or power or physical appearance and so on, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. How about a sudden 
job loss. Or I'm, I'm dealing with a, with a guy right now. He served the, the Lord for years. And then some gossip got into the church and destroyed him. And he ended up not going to church at all. And today he's not even involved. It was untrue. You know, and as Eric mentioned, our appearance changes as we get older. Malachi 3.6 For the I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If we find our identity in Him, we will never be let down because He has proven to be trustworthy. Psalm 111 And He does... All he does is just and good, and all of his commands are trustworthy. So, this is the first of a three-part series, and we're going to spend our time today answering the question, who am I? Who am I? To me, our identity starts, it begins with a proper understanding of who God is. What he says about himself, and then what he says about you, about us. Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie, everybody? Yeah? He says it's important how we view God, because that will determine how we view life. Let me take it a step further. Our view of God will dictate how we live. It will determine the decisions we make. In fact, there are no areas of our lives that are not impacted about how we view God. When I was just first saved... And I was, I was 16. For the first time, I, I grew up in a troubled area. I heard this phrase. If God is anything like my dad, I don't want anything to do with him. Improper view of who God is. A.W. Tozer. Now, you all, you all know who Tozer was, you know. Probably linked best with the Christian Missionary Alliance, Tozer. We must pursue an accurate view of God and not lose sight of his true nature. Our relationship with God, a result of our view of him, is what makes us who we are. He loves us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And it starts by getting to know him for who he really is. I looked it up and Tozer died in Ohio. And on his grave it says, A.W. Tozer, man of God. That's all it says. Now... In biblical counseling, the ministry, in almost every case, there's a place where you get where you get to the word obedience. You've got to obey the principles of Scripture, obeying God. If a person has a faulty view of God, his obedience will be partial. And he will be obeying that faulty view of God. That's how important this is. Now, let me ask you, what is, think about this, what is the most common misconception regarding God? What, what is it? I think it's, my problems are God's payback for my past sin. Or, another one along the same line, God is angry with me. You know, my mother had received Jesus before she died. It was a long journey, but she did. And then when she was about ready to die, she was dying, actually. She said this. What did I do 
that God would do this to me. Faulty view of God. If I think God is angry with me, I'm going to stay away from him. This is the most common misconception. So, let's get into it. To discover who I am, first, I need to know who God is. What he says about himself, a correct view of who he is, number one, God is love. This is part of his character. Everything he does is motivated by love. Two, God is faithful. This faithfulness of God means God is unchanging in his nature, true to his word, has promised salvation to his people, and will keep his promises forever. He is worthy of eternal trust, no matter how impossible his promises might seem at the moment. Ah, one of my favorites, God is light. John, I think, is referring here to his absolute moral purity. In other words, he has no moral defect. He is light. God is merciful. He's forgiving. Daniel 9, 9. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Psalm 99, 9, another one. The Lord our God is holy. God's holiness separates him from everyone else. God's holiness makes us aware of our sinfulness. God's holiness commands us to be holy. Hmm. First Peter 1.16. You must be holy because I am holy. Who is God? God is all-powerful. Job 36.22. Who is God? The Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him. Who is God? God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. And then finally, Deuteronomy 4.31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. So, we begin to answer the question of who I am with a proper view of God, but we continue with something else, how he views us. To be able to understand our identity as a follower of Christ, we understand how God sees us. Our true identity is ultimately based on a proper view of who he is and then a view of how he views us. Let's take a look at what he says for those of us who have received the Lord as Savior. Number one, he sees us as loved. We are loved. In Christ, we're loved. We were created for, with a purpose. You're, you know, you're not a carbon copy of someone else. You were created uniquely and with intention. God lovingly designed every detail of our person. Can you imagine the love involved in that intricate design? Now, you're going to hear this particular verse, I think, all three weeks, but I'm going to use it today. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now I'm going to read the same verse in the NLT. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. We, we, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let me take the time to read Psalms 139, 13 to 18 from the New Living Translation. You 
made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Oh, how precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They, they outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. How do I respond to the fact that God loves me? I don't think it could be said any better than 1 John 4, 19. We love because he loved us first. When we see God's overwhelming love for us, the only response is to love him and love others. All right, let's do it. What's our mission here at Westside? Love God, love others, make disciples. We start with loving God, then we love others, we make disciples. So our response to God's love is love. It will make us more outgoing instead of becoming ingrown and shutting ourselves away. But how does he see us? Two, we're chosen by God. In Christ, we're not only loved, but we're chosen. God sent his own son to earth to die in our place so that we could be included in his family. Now, God wasn't obligated to choose us based upon our performance or even our credentials. He chose us as part of his plan that involved the death of his own perfect son, which allowed us the opportunity to be a child of God. You are no mistake. You are loved. You are chosen and wanted. Even, Ephesians 1.4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. How, now, how do we respond to being chosen by God? Peter says it. But you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, here it comes, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As a result of being chosen, we can show now others the goodness of God, for he called us out of that darkness into his wonderful light. Can I say we also, this makes me anyway, we have assurance during struggles, strength after failure, hope during trials. Who am I? How does God see us? He sees us as forgiven. I'm writing to you little children, 1 John 2.12, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. In order to be counted as a, as, a, as a child of the Father, we had to be forgiven. Jesus, who was without sin, died the death we should have died on the cross so we can be forgiven of that sin. What we've done wrong is no longer counted against us. And all that Christ did right is counted for us. This forgiveness allows you to be considered a child of God. Now, therefore, in God's eyes, 
If you've accepted what Jesus did for you, you are completely forgiven. From his perspective, you're without sin. It's not that you're with, you're, you won't sin, but when he looks at you, he calls you forgiven. This is something on which you can build your identity. How do I respond to the fact that God has forgiven me? Number one, two things. I stop dwelling on my past sins. They are dead and buried with Christ. Leave them there. Psalm 103.12 says it best. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove my, our transgressions from us. I recommend you read all of Psalm 103, and then also with it read 1 Timothy 1.12-17. 1 Timothy 1.12-17. Another way I can respond to being forgiven is that I forgive others. I forgive others. Luke 7, Matthew 6. Included on that list may be some relatives. Or maybe your parents. Seeing myself as forgiven, I respond with forgiveness to others. Love and forgiveness always have gone together. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Because love covers a multitude of sins. Ephesians 4, 32 Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Colossians 3, put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Who am I? We are seen by God as righteous, or another way to say it, not guilty. And this is what the Bible calls, could be called justification. You know, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, justified by faith, placed in a right relationship with God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification gives us peace with God. Now, what is my response to being seen that way? Through God's power, I will live to please him in my actions and my attitudes. This is called sanctification. That's the process of spiritual growth where the Holy Spirit continues his great work in us. We grow through the faithful study of God's word, meeting with other Christians through prayer and through service. Who am I? We're seen as redeemed. Now, this is, this is an important one. We are redeemed. That is, Christ's sacrifice has purchased us from the forces of sin and evil that once owned and controlled us. And he made us his own. The best way to see it is in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold and silver. It's interesting, gold and silver, which lose their value. Gold and silver lose it. Mm. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. I was in, um, just before the, in fact, the day before the pandemic started, I was in Argentina. I got the last plane out of Argentina. And I was on my way to Cuba. And so I got to Miami 
and I, I'm, I'm going over to get on a flight to Cuba. And if, if, if I would have taken that flight, I'd have still been there today eating rice and beans. So I got a text saying, don't come. The airport's closing. So anyway, when I left Argentina, I came out with a whole bunch of Argentine pesos. You know, it was to me a lot of money, about $70 worth. And I was there a couple of weeks ago speaking to a group of evangelists. And so I took this pile of money in. It's now worth $1.95. You understand. Hyperinflation. You don't want to build your identity on that. So, when God looks at you, he does not see a former sinner. He does not see you in the light of who you once were. He sees you as redeemed, a new creation that has been made whole. You don't have to define yourself in the light of your past mistakes. God does not do that. You can walk in the identity of someone who has been made new in Christ. How do I respond to that? Good question. 2 Corinthians 5.15 He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. No more empty life. Live for Christ. Who am I? We're adopted. What does it mean to be considered a child of God? It means that you have been adopted into his family. You are considered a legitimate child of an all-powerful God, having all the rights, having all the privileges of a son or daughter of God. Now, adoption was not common in the Jewish world. And you notice the the passage on, on adoption are in Galatians and Romans, headed toward the Roman world. And because, you know, a person standing in the Jewish world is based upon his birth. There's all the genealogies. In the Roman world, adoption was a significant and common practice. Galatians 4, 5. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. What a powerful statement to a Roman audience. Today, we can write a will. And leave our wealth and property to anyone who wants. In fact, I, I just saw on, on the internet that a great fashion designer left part of his wealth to his cat. In the Roman world, with, with only a couple of exceptions, a man had to pass his wealth on to his son or sons. And if a man had no sons, or if he felt that his sons were incapable of managing his wealth, or were unworthy of it, he would adopt someone who would make a worthy son. These adoptions were not necessarily infant adoptions. Which is common today. Older boys, even adult men, were adopted. When the adoption was legally approved, the adoptee would have all his debts canceled. And he would receive a new name. See where I'm going with this? He would receive a new name. He would be a legal son of his adopted father and entitled to all the rights and benefits of a son. Now, a father could disown his natural-born son. 
but an adoption was irreversible. You are an adopted son or daughter of God forever. So, you're no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. Romans 8.17 says this, but this isn't in there, Gail. I threw this in this morning. Sorry. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Christians are born enslaved, but Jesus buys us out of slavery. We are adopted by the Father, given the Spirit. Now we are heirs. When we come to faith in Christ, our debts are canceled. We're given a new name, Christian. And we're given all the rights that heirs of God possess. Now, there is a difference between the Roman adoption and God's adoption. And that is um, that uh, the Roman adoption is that um, they adopt worthy heirs. God adopts us as completely unworthy. Because he adopts us on the basis of his grace. How do I respond to that? I mean, how can I respond to it? I see myself as an adopted child of God. My response is to relate to him as my heavenly father. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. Father. An Aramaic word. Very personal word. Here is the one who can supply all that was lacking in your relationship with your physical parents. He doesn't act like our physical parents. He's faithful. He's just. He's righteous. He's love. He's never changing. One more. Who am I? I'm gifted by God. He gives the believer a spiritual capacity to work for God here on earth. Ephesians 4. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. You know, this study basically changed my life. How do I respond to being gifted by God? 1 Peter 4, 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. We respond by serving one another. It's time to land the plane. The importance of knowing how you are. You're going to need it when you're attacked by Satan. When Satan attacks us before God, don't you see him? You've blessed him so much. Go ahead and take it away and see how he'll deny you. Or he attacks God before us. He's, God is angry with you. He's turned his back on you. He no longer loves you. He's punishing for, and then a bunch of stuff. You're going to need it when the world system tries to squeeze you into its mold. A few years ago, there was a song that said, you can have it all. And Barbie, in the latest I know, Barbie. In the latest movie, she sings, You can be anything you want. No dream's impossible because you're unstoppable. And so you can do it. No, no, 
Remember who you are in Jesus. You do have it all. Three, you need it when you're laid off of work. You need your identity in Christ when you're cut from the basketball team. I was cut in high school. I injured my left knee. That didn't make any difference to the coach. I couldn't play, so he cut me. You'll need it when you have a debilitating sickness. When I was uh, working on the Bible translation, one of the guys that I worked with most closely was Andres Schwartz. Andres, Andres Schwartz. I know it's a German last name. He was born in Mexico. He spoke English, German, Spanish, and Portuguese. And before he became a Christian, he was a Navy SEAL. And uh, today, he owns a CrossFit studio. And uh, Andres, I, I traveled many parts of the world with him. And I have never been with anybody that ate so healthfully. You know, he was very careful about what he ate. And he told me now in CrossFit, he said, I'm actually in better shape now than when I was a Navy SEAL. By the way, sitting out there in different places of the world, he told us some pretty interesting Navy SEAL stories. But Andres has been fighting stage four cancer. And this morning, I got his latest update. We got news from Andres' biopsy. His latest, the, the, the cancers in his throat and is attached to his tongue and his, his, his spread. His can, he has now cancer on his tongue. We are devastated. It feels like too much. He's going to have a lung biopsy next. We trust God. And why shouldn't we? We believe that he is who he says he is. This world is full of suffering, but God redeems us and uses it for our good and his glory. Jesus suffered more than anyone, and yet it was for the greatest good ever to be accomplished. Because of his great love for us, we are full of hope, not in the circumstances, but in our good shepherd. I got this this morning. Unless you think... You won't have identity crisis when you get older. Think again. Let me tell you, knowing who you are in Christ when you're over 80 like I am is as relevant as it is to thousands of young people who are searching for identity. Because, you know, there's a movement right now in the world to eliminate all those who who are deemed unproductive to society makes me go back to who I am in Christ. Now, I'm going to give, as we close here, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to go back to HRVC and answer them again and see if this is better than than the way I bumbled my way through then. Who am I? I am a child of God, loved and chosen by a faithful, merciful, and forgiving God who has redeemed me, forgiven me, justified me, and adopted me into his own family, and he has gifted me to serve others. That's why I am. Lord, thank you for this time together.
Thank you that you have redeemed us. You've adopted us. You've given us a new name. You've given us a purpose. We can serve others, Lord. We can, we can base our identity on who you are, something that is unchangeable. Lord, I just pray that myself included, that we would be able to stand on this in these difficult days. In Jesus' name.